era we're living in. All right. You ready to study God's Word? Get your Bibles out. I'm going to be reading from two of the Gospel accounts. Uh, one will be in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. The other one will be in Matthew, chapter 2. So you can begin to make your way there. This is our second message in our series in what we've entitled Walking in a Wisdom Wonderland. And we've just sort of hijacked that old Christmas song talking about relationships and cuddling up next to fireplaces and building snowmen with your families. And I just thought it was a good take on getting some wisdom with regards to all the different facets of relationship uh, we find ourselves in here in the body of Christ. Last week we talked to the men. It's good to see I still got the men with me this morning. We didn't hammer you too bad. But we talked to the men about Joseph and uh, his headship, spiritual authority and his leadership. We shared a few insights as to about what that means as it came from the life of Joseph to be a covering for your wife and for your family. Uh, This week, as I mentioned, we're going to talk to the ladies a little bit, although I'm quite sure the men will find it to be uh, edifying and instructive as well. And whether you're uh, married or whether you're single, whether you're a young person, uh, senior, divorced, uh, everybody, I believe, can begin to glean something and receive something from the Word of God as we share it from this particular angle this morning. Next week, I, I, I am excited about what I'm about ready to share with you. You've, you've heard me say this before. People have asked, what's your favorite message? And I always tell them it's the one that's looking me in the eye at that moment. But I can tell you this. Next week, I'm going I'm to talk on a subject I've really never approached before. And if you're, if you're single, especially if you're divorced, uh, if you're considering companionship, if you're a young person and your future's ahead of you with regards to relationship and these sorts of things, let me tell you, The Spirit of God really helped me uh, receive and be downloaded with some information that I think will just be exceedingly helpful. You may say to yourself, well, I'm married, I'm happy, things are going well. Let me tell you, after next week, you'll have a CD because if over 50% of our culture is is divorced or single, um, you know somebody single. and, And somebody's probably looking for companionship. And, and I will assure you, by the end of next week, we're, we're going to have some things in your hand that will help you make some quality decisions and choices in your life. Uh, I mean, God wants us to enjoy our relationships. And when they're challenged, um, it, can be, it can be a difficult thing. And so we want to do our best to help input you at that point. But uh, today, we're going to talk to the ladies. And uh, how many of you, uh, you grew up in the same era as I did uh, maybe you were a, a young person, teenager in the 70s, early 70s. Everybody remember All in the Family? I was going to run some clips this morning from All in the Family. I got a couple of DVDs. And I had forgotten just how offensive Archie really was. I mean, I realized it, does, it pales in comparison to some of the stuff we have today. But I mean, I just had forgotten how cutting edge... Archie really was back in the late 60s and early 70s. And all of us, when we hear the word Archie Bunker, instantly we, we've either watched him on TV land or some of us saw it first run. 
And when you consider his relationship with Edith, you remember what he called Edith? Dingbat, remember? I, I mean, he used every inappropriate slur with every group imaginable. And I, I was going through that last night, looking at all these clips, and finally I told Trace, I said, I, I, can't, I can't put this up on the screen. And I'm pretty edgy at times. But we all know Archie and Edith. And the interesting thing is we all know how Archie, he drove a taxi and he would come home after work and he'd come in and the first thing he'd do, he'd hang his coat up, he'd get his cigar out, he'd plop down in his chair that nobody else could sit in. And then he'd begin barking orders to Edith. And you remember how Edith would almost run everywhere she went. Yes, Archie, yes, Archie. And, and, and I thought about how how convoluted, because we all knew that was satire. We all understood that was, that was a spoof. But, but how many of you also know that you spoof things that have elements of truth in it? And, and so Archie and Edith sort of became the, the, the excessive uh, satire or the, the excessive picture of, of what People in Hollywood thought somebody, you know, and Archie, remember, Archie was religious. Never went to church, but he was religious. In fact, one of my favorite lines in there was uh, when uh, he was arguing with uh, Lionel's dad. You know, Lionel's dad was a black man, and they were arguing over Jesus' skin color. And uh, Archie was making the case that Jesus was white because that's what he saw in all the pictures of Jesus that he ever saw. So Jesus had to have been white. And Lionel's dad said, well, I hate, I hate to fill you in on this, but it's already been proved that Jesus was an Ethiopian. And Archie said, well, I understand the Ethiopians think he's Ethiopian, the Presbyterians think he's Presbyterian, the Episcopalians think he's Episcopalian. But understand that that imagery that you have right now of Archie and Edith and their relationship and, and how, how Archie really didn't understand true headship. And Edith didn't really understand true submission. But understand that's what Hollywood spoofed when it came to sometimes looking at what we deliver. And so I'm going to teach on this, never taught on it before on Sunday morning. And uh, hopefully it'll be helpful. I've entitled it out of the Christmas passages, How... Should a wife submit? How should a wife submit? Now, I got the guys last week, ladies. You know I'm fair. I'm fair and balanced. Just like Fox News, fair and balanced. Now, we got to talk to the ladies. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, this is what we read. It was the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great, he'll be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest 
will overshadow you. Therefore, also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. This is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, keep that in mind, and let me read another Christmas passage, Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, just a couple quick passages, and then we'll get into it. Matthew 2, verse 13, speaking of both Joseph and Mary, it said, Now, when they had departed, well, meaning at this point the uh, three kings, they're the, the, the magi from the east, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. Now drop to verse 19. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, For those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And again, we're going to talk about how should a wife submit. Last week, I mentioned to you that authority and submission always work better when everybody is doing their part. Authority and submission always works best when it's a two-way street. If somebody is trying to submit and you have a rotten authority, then it goes without saying that's a difficult scenario. If you're trying to be a good authority and you're working with Absalom or you're married to Jezebel... That makes it hard as well to do your part. So when it comes to relationship, and especially when it comes to marriage, the best scenario is when both people are putting forth 100% effort in their roles. But having said that, I want to remind you of what I said last week. Men, you will stand before God and be judged according to your actions as husbands, despite the fact that you think you're married to Jezebel. You're going to stand before God and maybe your wife is the worst woman in the world. You would say, Pastor, if you only knew, you couldn't imagine. I have the bride of Frankenstein. You will stand before God to be judged on what you did, not what she did that made you do. Are you following me? Women. You will stand before God and be judged for your actions as a wife despite having Archie Bunker for a husband. Despite the fact you think he's Saul incarnate again. You think that he is the worst. Oh, pastor, if you only knew, you would understand why I am like I am. I understand this. Everybody is required to do 100% whether no one else does anything. Are you following me? 
Sure, it's easier. If someone's given a hundred, it's easier to give a hundred. I know how relationship works. We say to ourselves, hey, they're only putting forth 50%. Therefore, I should only have to put forth 50%. That's not how it works in the kingdom of God. Now, I've pastored for 26 years, and I've heard a lot of questions, had a lot of folks come through the office in 26 years, seen a lot of aberrations concerning authority and submission in the marriage relationship. I've seen issues ranging from abuse, control, intimidation. I've seen and heard questions like, well, if, if my husband's about ready to take us over a cliff, do I have to follow? Can I refuse what my husband is asking? Hey, what about if he's in sin? How does submission work then? What if he's unsaved? Or, or more often than not, what if he's just a saved jerk? What if he's immature? What if he's uninterested in spiritual things? These are all very relevant questions. They're all fair questions because that's reality for many, many women. I'll say this. It was a reality for my wife in the early days of our marriage. I was preaching. And you can be a preacher and still be a jerk. My hope is that Men and women, you'll listen to me and perhaps my experiences will spare you some pain. In fact, why don't you just say to yourself, I'll learn off pastor's pain instead of experiencing my own pain. And you know what? We all can learn some things from Joseph and Mary. I think we can all agree that Joseph and Mary's relationship started with a few challenges. I mean, there are some things about Joseph and Mary that made their relationship start rather unique. Now, they went through the normal Jewish process of being engaged and betrothed. And betrothal in those days, I'll probably talk more about this next week, but betrothal in those days really was more like being married without the sex. In America, everybody go, what? But, but it was a time for them to get to know one another before they really knew one another. So they went through this betrothal period. And so they're starting out and their relationship was right. But now in the midst of them working out their relationship, they were getting a few curveballs. Now, albeit these were, these were the Lord's curveballs in their life. The passages that I read to you last week and this week show us that Joseph was a righteous man. He was a good authority. He was, he was one who brought covering to the relationship for Mary. In fact, Joseph has to make some fairly radical decisions about what he's going to do with his business. He has to make some radical decisions about where they're going to travel, how they're going to get there, how long they're going to stay there. In fact, I read you one instance where he was going one direction and he had to move and go to another direction. And we see Mary submitted here, following her husband as he's hearing from God, making decisions and moving his family from point A to point B to point C. So, So as we look at the story, we could say to ourselves, so far, so good. It's easy to see why it would have been easy for Mary to have followed Joseph. Because he's Joseph. I mean, if my husband was like Joseph, sure, I'd I'd, I'd follow him like this. But but Joseph, I mean, he was a righteous man. He, He had a track record in his life. He did all the things that you mentioned, Pastor, last week. It would have been easy to submit to a guy like Joseph. And I'll grant you, that's true. It's always easier to submit when you're married to a, to a Joseph. But there's a glitch here in this story 
that I just want to point out to you that you may never have thought of before. And I just want to springboard off this as we talk about our topic. There are three things for Mary that happened in this, this time period that are very important when it came to obeying God. Now listen to this very, very carefully. The first one is she did not have to get Joseph's input on receiving the seed of the Savior. Now, I want you to get a hold of that. She didn't have to check in with Joseph. She didn't say, hey, wait here, angel. I'm betrothed to Joseph over here. This is a pregnancy. I think he ought to be in on the conversation. So I'm going to go get his input. You notice that didn't happen, right? Now, if she had done that, would that have been wrong? I don't know that that would have been wrong. Joseph was a righteous man, as we see that he is, then undoubtedly God would have honored her desire to be righteous, and Joseph would have seen the true picture. But it's interesting, as I was reading this, she did not get his permission to be obedient to God. Are you following me, ladies? Secondly, though, she was willing to accept the consequences of that obedience. In other words, if Joseph would have had a bad reaction, and he did not, but let's say that he did. How many of you know that the moment you say yes to God and you're overshadowed by the Holy Ghost and you got the Savior in you, there ain't no going back. However it was going to shake out with Joseph, she was willing to accept the consequences of her obedience. And then finally, number three, we also see, though, that she did follow her husband's leadership by following him to Egypt, and to Galilee. Now, I'm putting out these three bullet points because these will be the bullet points that we're going to revolve around in helping, ladies, you understand how it is you're to relate to your husbands. The Word says that you are to submit to your husband. We find that in Ephesians 5.22. We find it, I believe, it's Colossians 3.18. We find these passages of submission in the Bible. And so you're to submit to your husband, but the Lord never says that in submission to your husband, you are to be disobedient to God. Now, that's a very important point. You wouldn't think that would be a a revelational point, but it is. And I'm going to come back to it in just a moment. Now, let's talk about submission as the Bible instructs us. What is biblical submission? The word submission comes from a Greek word that's called hupotasso. I know you could care less what the Greek is, but it actually literally means it's a, it's a, it's a combining of a couple words that means to line up under or to put in proper order. The word submission, actually, the Holy Spirit pulled it from the military. It was a military term that gave the impression of rank. In other words, if you were a private, you came under your sergeant. If you were a sergeant, you, you came under your lieutenant. If you were a lieutenant, you came under your general. You understand how different ranks you line up under. And so there is a, 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 an authority line even within the home. There's authority everywhere we look, the Bible tells us. And, and so the Bible tells us that the dad, the husband, the father is given the rank of commander in the family or in the marriage. Again, can I just share this with you? I understand that if you've, you've ever had abusive authority in your life, that to even talk about authority makes you cringe. Because all you've experienced is poor authority. If you were pulled over by a police officer and you were unrighteously beaten or unrighteously given a ticket, you might have a bad taste in your mouth about police officers. If you've been at a church where, where you were abused by a pastor or, or somehow or another you were wounded and every time you hear the word pastor, it gives you a bad taste in your mouth. Let me tell you, for years I had a bad taste in my mouth with the word elder. 
Now, it's in the Bible, but that doesn't mean it leaves you with a good taste. Why? It's because your experience has been something less than stellar. Now, despite that, you still have to understand that authority exists in the earth. So if you've got a great authority, you've heard this saying, a, a benevolent dictator is sometimes better than a democracy because just of the benevolence. So benevolent authority is a wonderful thing, easy to submit to. If you've had rotten authority, that stinks. We all know that. Now, let me give you submission. This is how I would put it in a modern vernacular. Submission is an attitude of love that wants to cooperate. That's how I'd put it. It's simply that easy. It's an attitude of love that wants to cooperate. Ladies, it is in the Bible. You are commanded by God to cooperate with your husband. Now, let's talk about that. Having said that, I need to say that submission and obedience is not the same thing. Are you writing this down? I'm going to give you revelation right now, ladies. Submission and obedience is not the same thing. Obedience is a choice. Obedience is an action. Submission is an attitude. It's an attitude of the heart that can be there even if circumstances require disobedience. In other words, you can obey but be unsubmitted. You know the story of, of the little kid that, that continually wants to, to stand up in the, in the booth at the restaurant and jump up and down on the booth and the parents are going, come on, I need you to sit down in the booth. And he's jumping up and down. You finally get him to sit down in the booth. But how many of you know you can feel the vibe coming off the child that while he's obeying on the outside, he's what on the inside? He's, so, in other words, he's obeyed, but he's not submitted. At the same time, you can, you can disobey and be submitted because it's an attitude. You can be submitted and yet have to disobey because you cannot let authority lead you into sin. There is never a reason. Your submission will, will never, God never requires submission of anybody that leads them into sin. The reason submission is so important is that when you keep a submitted heart, it keeps you under the protection of the Lord. Now, I brought something up here with me that uh, I wanted to use. It's an umbrella. Now, I know I'm going to open an umbrella up on the inside, but we break all those silly wives' tales. But I'm going to explain to you who Patasso. And when you're, when you're submitted, you're under what's called, the Bible calls, covering. You're under cover. And what that means is this. Ready? Hey! They needed one of these in the nursery yesterday. When you're, when you're under authority, you're under covering. And what happens is, is that is that you are protected, you, to a measure, you're protected from all the onslaughts of the world and the curse of the world and the issues of the world. There is a spiritual protection that can begin to take place in your life. Now, if you're not under authority or you're not undercover, what happens is, is that you're open to anything that may come your direction. So covering literally means that there is a a, a divine protection that comes when you're functioning under delegated authority that God has established in the earth. Now, let, let me give you, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of a quick example here. For instance, 
Um, let's say uh, in the Bible, you remember the time when Paul said that that uh, he was going to excommunicate uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander. He said, I'm going to run them out of the church. And he says, I'm going to hand them over to Satan was the word that he used. I never understood those passages that Paul wrote. I'm going to hand them over to Satan so, so that the body may be destroyed, but their soul may be saved. And, and I've often said, how do you hand somebody over to Satan? Is it like you get on your knees and you pray to the Satan and say, hey, Satan, I'm handing them over to you. I'm going to transition these folks to you right now. There you go. No, that's not what he meant. What he meant was this. He, he was literally saying they are no longer going to be under my authority or covering. And now that I'm loosing them out of my authority or covering, they will no longer enjoy the protection that comes. Some protection they don't even know, they may not even believe, or they may not even want. Nonetheless, still that is there when you're under authority or you're under cover. And the minute you step out from under the covering, what happens is you can become open game for the attacks of the enemy. Ladies, the minute, the minute you step out from under authority, now I'm not saying you, I'm gonna to get to obedience and submission here in just a minute, but the minute you decide in your heart that you're no longer gonna be submitted to your husband who provides covering in that situation, you're gonna find yourself to be in a precarious spiritual position. You say, well, my husband isn't spiritual. He's not this. He's not, th-. listen, I'm not, we're not, we're not there yet. I'm just simply saying that when a covenant is struck, God sets in motion authority that has to be adhered to. God works through authority. I've seen poor authority. I've had poor authority over me. But when you get out from under it, what happens is you, 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 you literally have opportunity to open yourself up for an attack. Now, I believe, this is what I believe. I believe the Bible talks about that we're to be submitted really one to another. The best way for all of this to work is when there is mutual submission. I believe that as a husband, I bring covering to my wife. But can I also share this with you guys? And that is, I believe my wife helps me a lot and covers me a lot too. I I mean, there are times she's pulled my tail out of some delicate situations. There are times she has helped me immensely. And, And so I believe submission ought to be a two-way street and this mutual submission rarely gets emphasized you know we're always we're always harping on you know wives submit themselves to their husband and and we need to spend some time on what it means for husbands to love your wives like christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so i I can say a lot about all of this i have i have 10 hours those of you that went through school of leaders know there's 10 hours on authority and we're not going to be here 10 hours today but if you want to hear more about all of this you, you you can get those authority tapes but the, the question that I looked at when I looked at Mary and Joseph was this. How did Mary know when to obey her husband and when she was on her own and when she might need to disobey? You see, you could be submitted in all of those scenarios. I believe the Bible shows us numerous times where, for instance, I believe Daniel, when, when, when I, I don't know if it was Darius or Nebuchadnezzar, but when the king over Persia announced that they were going to have to start praying to idols, how many of you know that God doesn't want you praying to idols? I mean, that's like 101, right? And so Daniel obviously wasn't going to be obedient to his authority because he would be disobedient to God. And, and so what happens is he doesn't make a big deal out of it. He doesn't get up in his grill. You know, he doesn't get in Darius's grill and say, let me tell you. He just, he just goes home 
and silently and quietly prays. Some people see what's going on and they're going to try to manipulate the situation. So they go tattletale on him. And finally, you know the story, he gets thrown into the lion's den. And, and, and God comes through and vindicates him by closing the mouths of the lion. And the king shows up the next day. It's the most amazing passage of scripture to me. Because the king looks into this big pit that he just had Daniel thrown into to be killed. Understand, this king wanted to kill you. And as he looks over and he sees that Daniel's still alive, the first words out of Daniel's mouth were this, Long live the king. I don't know about you, but that would not have been the first words out of my mouth. Nor yours. Because you see, we don't understand submission. He still honored authority. He didn't obey in that particular instance. Are you following me? So, attitude is submission. Action is obedience. Now let's talk about how submission works practically. Personally, as I mentioned, I believe a marriage works best when there is a partnership in decision making. I'm going to give you a hint, guys. If you come in and you're making 100% of the decisions or 99 and you're not getting input, you're just being dumb. Come on now. They're invested. Your family's invested in what happens too. Sure, they got to obey. Sure, they're going to go with you. You're the breadwinner. But, but there should be some partnership in decision making. Everybody should want God's will. I would think you would want to get a little input from someone who may see things from a little bit different angle than you. But sometimes in our circles, we find that's rare. Again, most relationship issues are easily resolved when God's word and God's will are the priority in the relationship. But what happens when his word or his will isn't the priority? What do you do if that isn't the case? Well, let me just share with you now a couple quick verses here. And uh, you can find them or write them down in Colossians 3.18. Colossians 3.18, listen to this. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. You might want to underline that. All the women ought to underline. As is fitting in the Lord. Fitting in the Lord. That means that your submission is in context of your relationship to Jesus Christ. Jesus is for families. I believe Jesus is for strong families and strong marriages. I believe that it is his will for you to have a strong marriage, for you to have a strong family. But sometimes, and I found this mostly in the South, our loyalties get twisted. Especially... Sometimes in Charleston. I'm I'm just reading the Bible. Is it okay if we just read the Bible? Because you can't be mad at me if I'm reading the red letter in the Bible. Luke 12, 51. Luke 12, 51. Listen, this is what Jesus said. He said, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? Well, sure, it's Christmas time. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Well, I'm just reading what Jesus said. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all. But rather division. Listen to this. For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. Well, we all know that to be true. And daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. 
You say, well, that has no, it doesn't say anything about husbands and wives. Oh, I'm getting there. Luke 14, 26. 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, and what Jesus means there, he's not saying you let literally hate. The original language is clear. It means that your loyalties, your loyalties have got to be greater than even your loyalties to father and mother. Wife, spouse, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So Jesus tells us that on our relationship to him, and as we're obedient to him, it, it not only can, it usually will cause upheaval in our families and even in our marriages. Why? Because he will challenge what is our first priority and our highest loyalties. You see, I love my wife. There is nobody on earth that I love more than my wife. My children, I love them incredibly and and behind my wife there's no one i love more than my children i mean they are my top priority behind my relationship with jesus christ are you hearing me because you see if it's above my relationship to jesus christ then what what does my spouse become a god or an idol if my children are more than my god what do they become Sure. You've got to get your loyalty sorted out. And can I just share this with you? If, if your spiritual priorities and loyalties are straight, everything else finds its place. When it's not straight, it never gets right. So, so we've got to understand, and wives, I'm talking to you because I just, I've, I've seen it more in the South than any other place I go, and I hear it more here than any other place I go. You've got to understand that if you want your marriage to be good, if you want your marriage to, to, to go forward, if you want to see God work in that, then listen to what I'm about to say because I want you to have a good marriage too. I'm not here to talk about when divorce is permissible. You know, even the Bible says that, that if, if you're married to an unsaved man, if he's willing to keep the relationship going, you stick with him. That's what the scripture says. Now, I understand people get divorced. I understand they get divorced for all kinds of reasons and they've been divorced for unbiblical reasons. I get it. I can't listen to me. Listen to pastor. I can't go back and change what has happened. So whatever has happened, we're going we're gonna to just get it under the blood. We'll get the cross to break all the power of the baggage that came with it. Let's get forgiveness flowing again. And from this point forward, let's do what's right. Are you following me? So I understand in America today, when people come in, they're going to come in and they've not done things right. They're just going to have to get forgiveness. They're going to have to repent for it. And then they can get back on the right road. So let's just help you get it right now. Now, I'm going to start with when is it permissible to disobey? I'm going to start there. When is it permissible to disobey? If I'm submitted, if I'm a wife, I mean, obviously I'm not the wife, but if, if a wife is submitted to her husband... When is it permissible for her to disobey? Number one, when you are being led into sin or disobedience to God's word. Obedience to God is unconditional. He expects 100% obedience 100% of the time. Obedience to man is conditional in as much as it doesn't violate our relationship with God. I think of the time that the disciples were 
told. In fact, they were brought before the Sanhedrin and they honored all that they could with these religious authorities. But then they were told that they could no longer teach in the name of Jesus. They didn't mind them teaching. They just didn't want them teaching in the name of Jesus. And so the apostles had tried to obey all the requests, but they could not on this one. And so in Acts 5.29, we read the verse that says, we must obey God rather than man. Now listen to me, people have twisted that verse just to do their own selfish will. They kind of use that verse at times like God grants the desires of my heart. Any carnal thing you want, you just pulled a verse out and you got one to prove your way. Now we're not talking about that. We're talking about that that you're being led into disobedience. You cannot enter into sin with your spouse under the excuse of submission. If your spouse is going to sin, you can still say, hey, you know, I love you. I care about you. I'm committed to you. I I want this relationship to work, but I I can't sin before God. This is sin, and I can't do it. You You don't have to do... Now, you don't have to do that. Do you understand? That's, that's not an attitude that wants to cooperate. You know how it works. There are, some, there are some times you can wake up and you can know it's going to be one of those mornings that something's going to get shot. I, I'm just going to give you examples through the years. I, I've, I've just seen examples and I've never, uh, I, you know, I, I don't walk up to people and do this, but these are examples that have happened some time ago. And I'll just share them with you. I, I knew one woman who, whose husband didn't want to come to church, never wanted to come to church. And in order to keep her marriage right, she thought she was going to be submitted to her husband. And so he'd go, he'd just, you know, he'd go anywhere and everywhere every weekend. He was gone somewhere. They were doing this event. They were doing this thing. They were going here. They were up in the mountains. They were down to the beach. They were, they were everywhere. And the whole time she was saying, but I want to, I want to keep my relationship. I, I, I need to be submitted to my husband. And, and I, just say, what do you do with Hebrews 10.25 that says, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some. See, there comes a moment, everybody in, in all sorts of relationships has to look and say, I must obey God in this one. And you say, well, he go berserk. Do you understand that, that even in my own life, my My folks weren't all that thrilled with my relationship with Jesus Christ. Nobody was getting me up, sending me off to church. I remember we would go on vacation, and they would schedule it over Sunday, and I would literally drive back from the Ozarks to get to church on time. It didn't make it happy in the household I was living in. But there comes a moment that we've got to understand, I'm not going to be led into sin. I can I can love, I can care, I I can have a good attitude, but I'm not going to be led into sin. I've had ladies through the years have looked at me and said, well, I don't, you know, I don't pastor control the finances in my house. And so I can't tithe. I can't, I can't be obedient to God this way. And, and I'm just giving you just these little helpful nuggets. If you don't control the finances in your house, then, then you don't have to somehow wiggle it out of their wallet or somehow finagle it out or manipulate it out. You know what? This is what I believe. I believe that whenever God enlarges you as a woman, that that what you control and what you have your hand on, you should tithe on. And I believe that if you will do that, that God will keep you under an open heaven. But if your husband is going to be disobedient and stingy, then let him have a dried up destiny. You understand? God sees. He knows. And he knows the heart. 
And, and, and you don't have to think somehow, I, I, I'm going to be led under all of this. No, when, when you're submitted and you're wanting to be obedient to God, and at the same time, we're going to talk about when you should be obedient to your husband as well. But you need to understand up front, if you're going to be led into sin, uh-uh. That's not submission. Number two, when your conscience is being violated. You see, not everything is codified as being sin. There are some things that we are simply asked of God not to do by personal conviction. In James 4, 17, it says, To him who knows what is right and does not do it, to him it is sin. So there are certain things that uh, violate your conscience. So if your conscience, ladies, listen to me, if your conscience is being violated and it's continually being violated, I'm going I'm to give you a hint. That's called mental abuse. If your husband leads you to violate your conscience constantly, that is mental abuse. I've listened to wives through the years speak about their their husband's unusual and, and, excuse me, the only way I can put it, kinky needs. And they looked with tears in their eyes and they, they said they felt like prostitutes and they felt weird, but somehow because they were submitted, they felt somehow they had to enter into that. I, no, you don't. No, you don't. I know I'll get emails from men. Too bad, guys. It's time that you just sucked it up and became men of God. Quit, get your eyes off of what Hollywood and the housewives of Orange County or wherever. Get, get back to the word of God and be a Joseph. I've listened, I've listened to, I've listened to wives who said they were forced to watch pornography. That's sick sick you are under no obligation to join him in searing your conscience now again you don't have to go remember where's submission it's the attitude of the heart that wants to cooperate number three it's permissible to disobey when you're asked to participate in an unethical action you're being asked to participate in an unethical action. This is, ladies, this is the one you always ought to go back to. In Acts chapter 5, you remember Ananias and Sapphira? I can guarantee in those days, the husband controlled the finances. But interesting that when Peter asked Ananias if he'd lied to the Holy Ghost, and he said no, and then he dropped over dead, that when Sapphira came back up, it wasn't because she had control of the finances, it's because she entered into the same unethical lie that her husband did, and she died just like her husband. If you're being asked to participate in an unethical action, I will assure you, you will go to jail as swiftly as your husband. Falsifying records, not paying taxes, perpetuating a lie. That, that, these things are, are disobedient to God, and you have every right. Now again, you, you... No, 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 no. It's, I can't do that. I just can't do that. Your integrity isn't compromised because you want to be submitted and you cannot be a partner in crime. Now, I just left those three things to let you simmer on that. But having said all that, this is the part you do now need to hear me. You should yield to your husband's leadership, though, in matters that are simply opinion. Now, I'm going to tell the men one more time. They ought to be soliciting your opinion. They ought to be hearing what your desires are. 
Their heart ought to be to sacrifice for the family. Remember what I said about Joseph's? They want to sacrifice for the family. They want to get you into destiny. And all these things that Joseph's need to do. And yes, husbands need to do that. But I'm telling you as wives, you should yield to your husband's leadership in all other areas. You should do your best to want to cooperate. And by the way, I'm just telling you ladies, you cannot twist every decision he makes into God told me something different. I've heard, you know, I don't want to do it. So God told me I don't want to do it. No, no. If he's breaking the word, that's one thing. If it's a matter of opinion, that's something you ought to want to cooperate with. You say, well, pastor, what if he's making a really poor decision? What what, what if it doesn't fit into the list, but I see that he's going to run off a cliff and, and I don't want to go off the cliff. And what do we do and how do we handle this? I'm going to write this down real quick. I'm going to tell you what you do. What do you do if you disagree with your husband? Number one, have you ever heard of praying? That's where you need to start. Before, before, before you assume you've got all wisdom on a subject as much as he thinks he has all wisdom on a subject, why not, why not you step back and pray? You step back and pray. In fact, I don't think it's wrong to look and say, can we both pray? How about let's both pray this issue and see if we can come and understand what the will of the Lord is in this particular area. I want you to know, ladies, God can do more for you than your griping. Your griping is not the voice of the Holy Ghost. Now, it's not fair, me giving it to the guys last week, if I don't read a couple passages to you ladies. Proverbs 19, 13. Says, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dripping. <laughs> Dude, uh, guys, don't do, don't amen. I, I can't protect you outside those glass doors. <laughs> Just inside go. See, that was my amen. That was a silent amen there. All right. Proverbs 27.15, listen to this, Proverbs 27.15, a continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Whoever restrains her restrains the wind. Have you ever tried to restrain the wind? It's impossible. Listen to me, the whole concept of authority is about trusting God to work in areas you can't control. If you control everything in your life and say you trust God, you're a liar. So the reason God sets up authority in all of our lives is so that we have opportunity to trust God. we got to trust God. I can't control this thing. It's out of my hands. It looks like we're going off a cliff. I don't know if God, do you know? But you've got to trust God in this thing. Now listen, number two, after you pray, be patient and let God move on his heart. Proverbs 21.1. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart, or an authority's heart, is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Can I just share this with you? Because, you know, all of us, and, and I tell you what, guys, I'm going to say this to you. As I'm instructing wives to get under the authority of their husbands, I'm looking at you husbands and I'm telling you, who are you under? 
you got to get yourself under some authority too. Everybody needs to be under somewhere. So, so God, listen to me, God has changed the hearts of harder cases than your husband. Sometimes he allows things to go on to work things in both people that would not have been received any other way. You gotta understand, sometimes things are happening. God, God's highest order is not your comfort. God's highest order is his character in you. And you gotta understand that there are gonna be moments that something's out of your control and, and it's just a matter of opinion. It's not sin, it's not disobedience, your conscience isn't being violated. He just, he wanted to go to Hardee's and you wanted to go to McDonald's. Do you realize how many fights get started over dumb things like that? I, I mean, if we were to ask, what was your last fight about? We'd all say, I don't want to say that. Because it was just really dumb. It wasn't about sin. It wasn't about righteousness. It wasn't about some deep theological notion. No, it was about where are my socks? And for a moment, you were ready to go to the divorce court over your socks. You've got to understand that there are moments that both people need to learn things and you wouldn't have received it any other way. So ladies, I'm going to suggest this. I know it's hard because it seems like the guys get a better, uh, a, a better deal in this. But this is what you do. I, just do it and, and I promise you because God loves to vindicate the powerless. So just give your husband over to the Lord. In fact, you can look at him and you don't just good spirit and say this. Well, you know, I don't agree with you on this one. I want to have a submitted heart and I'm just going to give it over to the Lord. Now, before he would have just gone, well, you go ahead and do it. But now he's going to know that when you do that and you say, Lord, I give him to you. You do with him what needs to be done to get his attention. And the Lord looks at that sweet wife. And gets a grin on his face. And moves over here to husband. And pulls his tail through a knothole. Boy, you don't think that hadn't happened to me? It would have been far easier to have listened to Trace. Than to have endured what I ended up enduring from the hand of God. Once they begin to see that there's a correlation between your praying and knotholes. You might find a different man after a while. So be patient. Let God move. Just put him in the hands of the Lord. God does what's right, what's just, and he does it perfectly and in the right time. Number three. You can appeal in a right spirit. Now, again, in those lessons I did on authority, there's a, there's a whole lot to appealing appropriately. But let me say that a marriage doesn't mean you lose your opinion. In fact, if your husband is smart, he would see the value in it and even solicit it. And ladies, I'll just tell you, a lot of guys aren't that smart. But you can appeal a direction. The family is headed. But you've got to do it in the right spirit. Say, so what do you do? Just say... Honey, can, I, I, I just I know we're about ready to make this decision, but can I appeal this? And, and can I share with you why I think this this may not be the Lord? Now he may or may not listen, but you you have an opportunity to appeal these things. And then number four, 
This is what happens if, you know, we're in the realm of opinion now, but what happens if you disagree? Sometimes we're called to suffer for righteousness' sake. Right in the middle of a discourse, in 1 Peter chapter 3, you may want to run this down, 1 Peter chapter 3. It's right in the middle of a discourse, beginning with verse 1, he talks about wives be submitted to your own husbands. Says that even if some do not obey the word, he's talking about those of your husbands who aren't obeying the word, they, they may not even be saved. He says that they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. In other words, they see something in you. And I tell you what, I know of women right now, I won't mention them or anything, but I know women right now that, that they, they've walked out incredibly difficult circumstances, but, but they've kept their spirits right, they've, they've stayed true to God, they've strayed stayed true to the word, and eventually it won their husband. It began to turn him. It says that they may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by respect. Of course, he goes on to say here, you know, do not let your adornment be merely outward, ranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. In other words, you don't have to be a hoochie mama. That's what he's saying there. That's in the Greek. You got to know the original language to pull some of this stuff out. <laughs> original Greek, huchi mama. But it says, let it be the hidden person of the heart. I'm not joking. You're not going to win your husband. I'm just telling you right now. You're not going to win your husband by having slits up to here and down to there. You're probably feeding what's wrong. I wasn't on my notes. It says, rather be with the hidden person of the heart, the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. He goes on, I'm going to drop verse 7. He tells husbands, dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. This is interesting, that that. Your wife's prayers won't be hindered because she's under authority. But if you don't treat your wife right, God will put the earplugs on with you. He says, I won't hear it. I won't hear what you have to say. And then I got to jump over to verse 13. This is in the middle of all of this how relationship works passage. In verse 13, it says, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. It says, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. You know, sometimes when you're under authority, when it's all said and done, what you do is is that you just trust God in that situation. Now listen, I'm going to be real careful. If you're being physically abused, the Bible says you don't have to stay with that. You hearing me, wives? If you've been abandoned by a husband, the Bible says there's recourse for these things. 
if if a husband's been caught in adultery, the Bible's clear about these things, that, that these are lines that have been crossed, that give you permission, if you so desire, even to sever that relationship. Now, I believe forgiveness is always of the highest order. In fact, God hates divorce and would prefer that people work through things in order to give testimony to the staying power of God. But hear me right now. God does not ask you to be a doormat to your husband. He does ask you, however, though, to be submitted in your heart, to want to cooperate. I know there are probably a thousand scenarios that you could begin to throw at me, but you know what? I'm going to believe God right now that somehow he's going to give you wisdom as to how you need to make application. But my major purpose is this, that God gets our 100%, 100% of the time. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? Thank you, Lord. Thanks, Lord. Kind of unusual Christmas message, huh? I want to pray for the wives here today. I want to pray for you ladies. I want to pray for those of you that may even be preparing for marriage. Those that know that the day will come. I want to pray for you right now. I want to pray that God, that God overshadows you and causes you in much the same way as Mary here in the scriptures. To be able to say yes to him, but also know when it's time to head to Egypt or when it's time to get back to Galilee, that you'll have every confidence that God's leading in your marriage relationship as well. Father, I pray for the wives. Pray for the ladies who may be preparing for that in the name of Jesus. Lord, even as I challenged the men last week to do 100% of what they need to do. Now I'm praying, Lord, that the women do 100% of what they need to do. And Lord, that way, everybody's doing 100% of what needs to happen. Lord, one more time, I... I do. I, I seek your forgiveness for the times I haven't put 100% of my energy into it. Lord, I ask that the guys would keep it on the altar, their commitments on the altar as well. But Lord, I pray for the women today, Lord, that you would begin to speak to them. Lord, I know in many, many, many instances, the ladies carry the spiritual weight. They're the ones that are spiritually attuned. Lord, as men, we're... We're embarrassed and we're chagrined by that. They need, they need our leadership to step up and, and, and be the type of, of leader, Lord, that you would want us to be and that, Lord, they would really love to have around. So, Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that you would strengthen and encourage them. I pray this morning that if there have been areas that have been touched on or you, Holy Spirit, even spoke to something else, Lord, that the, that the ladies would be quick to respond in obedience as well. Lord, I pray that somehow, some way, you could begin to untangle all the relationship snags, Lord, that we may be facing as a congregation. Lord, we believe that, that the, the husband and the wife are the testimony of Christ and his church. And that doesn't mean there aren't challenges between lordship and church, just as there are between husbands and wives. But Lord, we are praying right now that you'd enable us to have a, have a strong family unit. 
We pray that during this Christmas season, Lord, as family gets emphasized and gift giving and all the things that happen, Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would, you would work on our relationships and that they might be strengthened through this time period and not be exasperated in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that, that you would just work inside of each woman in this place. Lord, the, the type of spirit that's mentioned here. Lord, help them to realize they're not doormats in their relationship. They're not, they're, they're not to be abused. They're to be honored. Lord, I, I feel badly if that's not the case. But help them see a divine strategy for that to be turned around. I pray, Lord, that for all of us, we would see you as our source. You're the only one that can reach into a human being's chest and change their heart. So, Lord, we're going to begin to trust you to change hearts of husbands, to change hearts of wives. That, Lord, you're going to change our hearts, transform us to be uh, what you wanted us to be when you brought us together and declared that to be good. Lord, thank you for this congregation. Thank you for their generosities. And, Lord, as I release them this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would just do incredibly big things in their life i'll tell you what i want to do before i cut you loose though let me just do this with every head bowed and every eye closed let me just give an invitation here i i realize if i gave an invitation about do you want to get your relationship better i probably have a good many of the ladies because you're also spiritually sensitive that's a good thing but but this is what i want to cast here today i want i i, I want to pray for those before you go today that may need to get your relationship with jesus right before you go your relationship with a husband or a relationship with a wife will not be right until your relationship with the Lord is right. Earthly relationships will not work until that relationship with God is fixed. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, only another moment or two, but if you need to get that relationship fixed before you go this morning, would you just slip up your hand real quick and let me see it. I need my relationship with the Lord fixed before I go this morning. Just in the quietness, God bless you. I see there's a hand or two that went up. God bless you. Here's what I want you to do. I want everyone together. Let's just do this. Those, the two, there may have been more and I just couldn't see you. But I know there were two that lifted their hands. And I know you all. I know, I know your hearts are after God. But let's all pray this together. And would everyone just repeat after me. And let's just, one more time, put your sincerity and your genuineness to this prayer that I'm about ready to lead you in. And let's just make sure all accounts are up to date. And everything's clean before we walk out the doors this morning. Shall we? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I confess before you that I have moved away and my relationship with you has suffered greatly. I'm making a choice to repent of my self-will and to begin to embrace your ways. I confess my sin in that, but now I embrace you and your life. Enliven in me the want to, to cooperate. Take away all my rebellion that manifests in so many ways. I want to be submitted and I want to obey in such a way that always pleases you. Thanks, Lord, for renewing life in me, that your ways always work. I believe it in Jesus' name. 
Can you say amen? Can you put your hands together? And let's give the Lord a clap offering. Hallelujah. Amen. If you have any questions, email me. All right. All right. Turn around and hug three or four people before you go. Hey, take time to fellowship with each other before you go. Hey, we love you. Connect groups are meeting. Remember Wednesday night. We're studying God's word. I hope to see you in the middle of the week. You are released. God bless.